BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, this is John. This week on The Cinephiles, we are tackling one of my favorite movies from the 1980s in a film Steve hadn't seen in quite some time. That's 1987's La Bamba. It tells the story of Richie Valens, who went from migrant farmer to rock and roll superstar almost overnight and sadly passed away at age 17 in that famous plane crash with Buddy Holly. It stars a very young Lou Diamond Phillips, Isai Morales, Rosanna Di Soto, the late, great Elizabeth Pena, Daniel Von Zernick, and Joe Pantoliano, or Joey Pants, as people like to name him. But this film was such a fantastic film when it came out in the 1980s, telling the story of a Latino rock and roll star. This didn't happen back then, and this hasn't happened a lot since, but this one kind of broke the mold. Unfortunately, Luis Valdez didn't do much after this that matched what he accomplished in La Bamba, and you could argue that a lot of people involved with this movie never quite reached the heights of what this movie did at that time in the late 80s. But it is one that is such a joy to go back to and revisit. And I'm very happy that you all are coming along on this rock and roll journey with me and Steve Morris as we tackle La Bamba this week on The Cinephiles. And if you'd like to buy the movie, you can do so at www.cine-files.net. Now, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, producer, and host over there at Collider, and also co-host of the Top 10 Show and the, the Geek Buddies. There we go. The Geek Buddies is just killing it, I think. We're trying to. We're not getting the numbers that uh, Cinephiles or Top 10 does, but well, it we're takes building. Time. I mean, it took, I think it, it took, took us time, too. It took yeah. us a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the Geek Buddies, it has become one of my most look forward to podcasts. Oh, it's so much fun. Thank you. And I, you know, it's funny. We just had that Mance uh, talk yeah. where I said, you know, mostly I don't care about listening to whoever it is, his latest take on whatever the, <laughs> it's not my, I don't listen to a lot of that stuff, yeah. but it's not just that I, I don't think it's just that I'm your friend. I think you and Mike and Shannon are great, and it's the show is so fun. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy it. Thank you so. So much. everyone, go listen it. to the Geek Buddies. I think it's a great show. Thank you. Um, today we're talking about a movie that was your suggestion. Yeah. Uh, which is La Bamba, Luis Valdez, starring Lou Diamond, Diamond Phillips, the Richie Valens story. Yep. Uh, here's the thing that's crazy, and I'm not a hundred percent sure of this, but. Do you remember when we did A League of Their Own and I said that was the first film that we had done that had been directed by a woman? Oh. 
I believe it's easy to look at our list and see that there had been no female directors. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first film directed by a Latina. Yes. And I just a thousand percent. I'm I I, I I'm gonna lay out a couple of numbers because and I'm not saying that there's a one-to-one comparison here. Mm-hmm. My guess, again, I'm not hundred percent sure, is that in the hundred plus movies that we've done, over twenty of them were directed uh that we've used over twenty Jewish directors. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and and a bunch of them had multiple films like the Cone Brothers, like Steven Spielberg, mm. um, like Rob Reiner. Yeah. So we've had 20-something Jewish directors that we talked about in the cinephiles, only one Latino director. Yeah. The population, Jewish population in the United States is about 2.5%-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, Latino population in the United States is about 16%. Right. And out of that, we've had one director. I think that is so... It's just how I felt when we did A League of Their Own. It's mm-hmm. shocking and embarrassing. And it says something about the state of American film, which has changed because now, yeah. now going forward, particularly in the last 10 years, yeah. there are a lot of great films made by Latino directors. But I mean, that's just so I'm really happy that we're doing this. I it think it's time. really important. Yeah. yeah. Um, Me too. Do you remember how you came to the film? Oh, yeah. I went to see it at Featherstone Square in <laughs> in Woodbridge, Virginia, by myself. No one else could, wanted to come with me. Wow. I remember seeing the trailer. And, of course, remember I when I grew up in Virginia at that time, and maybe people who live there now who might listen to us won't understand this, it was like 95% white. Right. Oh, country white, southern white, where I live there in Dale City slash Woodbridge. And so... A Latino biopic movie about a 50s rocker who had two or three songs uh, was not going to tear up the theaters there. They didn't even put it at the main theater that you would have at the mall. I had to go to Featherstone Square and see it in the underground theater they had there. Um, And I watched it. I remember watching it in a theater. It was like a 30-seat theater. It was one of these smaller theaters they had there. Um, And I remember just being absolutely blown away by the movie i remember crying at the end i'm i remember uh being romantic about the love story in the movie and i remember it also speaking to me as a latino watching latinos on a screen directed by a latino i remember being conscious of that at what 15 years old is 85 86 this movie yeah 15 years old watching this movie going this is incredible to see version of myself up on the screen in terms of, I know there's a Mexican story, but Latino still. Right. So yeah, I remember that distinctly. And I went back three or four times to see the movie. I, I actually don't remember if I saw it in the theater. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know that I rented it a bunch and watched it a lot in the eighties. I don't think I've seen it since. Oh, wow. So it's been 30 years since wow. I saw this movie. Wow. Um, and what's so funny is I remembered so much of it. Mm-hmm. There, there are parts of it I didn't remember. But there are certain scenes in this film that I, I totally 100% remembered. Yeah. And the thing, what's weird is, so so Luis Valdez is uh, the director. Uh, he's a really fascinating guy. And I want to do some biography on him because mm-hmm. sadly, yeah. we might not have another chance. There's right. one other film of his that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't had much of a career. And this is one of those... Yep. Like what possible he makes this hugely successful film because mm-hmm. the bomb is huge success, right? And then doesn't have much of a career. I can't imagine John why that might be. <laughs> um, but he was a playwright, actor, and uh, director, activist. Mm-hmm. He's almost exactly the same uh, age as Richie Valens. Yep. Um, and he was born to migrant farm workers, second of twenty children. 
And he began working in the fields at the age of six. Mm -hmm. And he loved the theater. So when he was in school, he was doing puppet shows and school plays. He was an amazing student, got a scholarship to San Jose State to study math and physics. Wow. This is a brilliant. So migrant working in the fields as a six-year-old mm -hmm. still manages to get that uh, scholarship in math and physics. This is a brilliant, brilliant guy. Right. Started writing plays and founded El Teatro Campesino, which... I grew so I went to school in theater in Berkeley. I studied mm -hmm. political science and theater, and El Teatro Campesino was super important there. Uh, which is in '65, he started working with Cesar Chavez in the mission to organize farm workers, and his way of working with him was to do plays. Yep. And they did these little plays that they were about 15 minutes long or 30 minutes long to educate the farm workers and educate people about the plight of the farm workers, and they were very political. They were very aggressive. They were very funny. And they were, you know, this idea of agitprop theater. I don't know if you got that when you were in theater school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea of like, we're going to put forward, this is the farm owner. This is the farm worker. And we're going to give you a very funny uh, theatrical exploration of this idea. And they really devote, developed this whole other kind of doing theater yeah. that I studied when I was in college. And it was really uh, influential on me. And it's the first time that anyone is doing plays about Chicano co culture sure, yeah. at the time. Um, and because that was something that was never expressed in the arts for mainstream American culture at all. Mm -hmm. um, uh, his first big play was uh, Los Vendido, which is uh, exploring uh, Chicano stereotypes. And again, it was, I am sure it was filled with every expletive. <laughs> you know, I, I really think, by the way, I don't know if Spike Lee knew about uh, Luis Valdez, mm. but I think there are things in Do the Right Thing that are sort of that same. There's that sequence in Do the Right Thing where all of the racial epithets are thrown yep. out. And that is like, and they're all looking right at camera. And that is a very Luis Valdez yep. way of approaching things. Uh, the big, huge play is Zoot Suit. Zoot Suit ran at the Taper, which is over here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. In 1978, it ran there for 46 weeks. Wow. Almost a whole year, this play took over this theater. Went to New York. Uh, Edward James Olmos, of course, is the lead of the play. He wins the Tony in New York. They make the movie in 81. I saw the movie at like a museum theater. Yeah. And it, Zoot Suit just blew my mind. <laughs> I think Zoot Suit was hugely influential on me because of the way it was a movie, but was still theatrical. Yeah. And it didn't... It didn't. Movies tend to have to obey the rules of reality that they set, even if you're in a superhero movie. Right. And Zoot Suit goes in and out of musical numbers and real locations, and then clearly theatrical locations and uh, people talking straight to camera. And this Edward James almost character that is just his performance in that is insane. Yep. And then his brother, who he worked with a lot, Daniel Valdez, is the person who was de developing. He wanted to do this Richie Valens movie. And it sounds like he was, the, in a lot of ways, the hero. Mm. He was the musical director of the film and pushed and pushed and pushed to, to make it. And the most important thing in terms of making it that they wanted was, we have to get the Valenzuela family, Richie Valens' yep. family, Approved. on board. Yep. They, they have to not approve. They have to, they, we want them involved. We yep. want them on the set. And it took like a year of visiting them before they finally developed their trust. And Consuelo, who's uh, his mom, and Bob, the real Bob, yeah. they were at the auditions, they were at the screen tests, they were on the set, they were involved this whole way. And it sounds like Bob, because he is a complicated character, yeah. he was totally willing to let his life be examined in a really harsh way. Yep. Yeah, he, he did, which is amazing to me, because Bob is a tough character yeah. in this film. Yeah. The most important thing once they got the green light was they got to find Richie Valens. Yeah. National search. 
Could you, if only they had come to your town. <laughs> I don't think I would have done it. I don't think I would have passed muster. Um, uh, more his friend that get hit by the by the uh, falling debris. I looked more like him at the time. Yeah, um, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, Isab Morales auditioned for Richie Valens. Yeah. And Lou Diamond Phillips auditioned for Bob initially. <laughs> oh, interesting. And Lou Diamond Phillips, this is a story he told, is that he uh, got called... He didn't know what the audition was. So he lived in Texas, mm-hmm. and they say his agent calls him and says, okay, there's an audition. Uh, it's a musical. It's going to be at this theater. Go to this Palace Theater or whatever. And he goes, well, what's it about? And they said, oh, it's Rudy Valley." <laughs> so he thought he was auditioning for a staged musical about Rudy Valley, and only then found out that it was a film about Richie Valens. <laughs> and this is his first movie. Yeah. Um, he's great. He's incredible in this movie. I know Ben Kingsley's phenomenal in Gandhi, but what Lou Diamond Phillips is able to do with <laughs> Richie Valens is, in my opinion, is pretty incredible as well for a first movie. I, I, that's a weird comparison, <laughs> but I'm going so. to go with you. Sure. <laughs> and, and they're both at around the same age. Yeah. Um, and right around the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and one of, the, one of the producers on this film is Taylor Hackford, who, of course, went on to be the director of Ray, you know, like another uh, rock biopic. And yeah. he's, he's got a huge, long career. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like he was one of the guys that made this happen. He also produced When We Were Kings, which was one of our first one ever of our first episodes ever. Of, the, yeah. of the Cinephiles. So, yeah. yeah. Um, would you like to get in the movie? Yeah, let's do it. We open with the song Sleepwalk, which is one of those recognizable 50s songs. And there's this weird grainy footage. Uh, and there's these kids playing basketball and girls playing volleyball. And you're going, what is this? I had no memory of this, by the way, from when oh, I seen, oh, really? seen it so oh. long ago. I was like, I don't even know what's going on. And there is a midair collision. And uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, Richie Valens, wakes up. Screaming. Yeah. I should say Richard Valenzuela because that is his Richard name Valenzuela, yes. At this point. And we are off in Northern California. It's 1957, and the families are picking fruit. And uh, R- Richard is out there picking fruit with his family. They're migrants. They're migrant farm workers. Mm-hmm. And then we do a really hard cut, and the name La Bamba comes up, and we see Bob on the motorcycle <laughs> driving through those roads. <laughs> First of all, the original title was Let's Go. Oh. Yeah. For their song, for the yeah. hit. His yeah. Hit, Which yeah. you'll hear, they say Let's Go yeah. over and over in the movie. And it was a fairly last minute change. Yeah. Because um, Let's Go had been the name of some other movie, so they didn't want to duplicate. Mm-hmm. And they changed it to La Bamba, and everyone's happy they did. Yeah. And uh, Bob, this is Isa Morales. His performance is great. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic in this yeah. movie. Yeah. What an, I mean, because he had come off uh, Bad Boys with Sean Penn mm. only a couple of years earlier. So this is another, like an announcement of his pe- growing power as an actor. Still working today, by the way. Yeah. Um, and he rolls up to the tent city and uh, Richie sees him and they hug. And it's an emotional moment mm-hmm. of, you know, they oh, these guys haven't seen each other for a long time. Yeah. And we cut to the women who are like processing the apricots uh, and cutting them up and putting them in cans and. Yep. And mom, who is, oh, I didn't write down her name, DeSoto. What's it? Uh, yeah, Rosanna, Rosanna DeSoto. Rosanna DeSoto. Yep. She runs up, and we get instantly she's been gone for a long time, or he's been gone for a long time. Right. And we see Rosie. Yeah, Elizabeth Pena. Um, the late Elizabeth Pena. Yeah. Which is a sad. She's so, she's so great. Oh, yeah. And all, I, all the casting across yeah. the board is fantastic. Because yeah. if you're going to establish these relationships without with the 
that are already established, right? You're not going to go back in time. You've got to cast correctly so that the emotion, the complexity, the layers, the levels are working with every interaction right off the bat. Yep. Uh, and it works completely. The look between Bob and Rosie, you know that's going to happen. Right. The fact that Richie has his arm around Rosie implies that he has an interest in her. Yep. Um, Rosanna DeSoto Con- Connie is talking a horse smack about Steve. How st- she punched Steve out. You know that this is a woman not to be messed with. Right. So all these are all being established in really quick ways. Well, and it's interesting too. So there was really no love triangle-ish thing with right. Rosie. In real life, yeah. And, but you know what they did was they went to the real Rosie and they talked to her about it, and they said, "Look, we're trying. This is why we're doing this for the film." And she said, "Okay, that sounds good." <laughs> you know, so 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 they they really there, there are certainly men things fought that, over me. I'll take it. <laughs> um, there are certainly things in this film that are not accurate, but they also like very clear on the reasons why they did yeah. it. Um, we cut to Richie and Bob running up the hill. Richie carrying that guitar, which apparently he really did carry everywhere mm-hmm. he went. Shot is great, and he says, "I even sleep with the guitar." Uh, and they kind of box a little bit, and then they hit hands. Yeah. And there's this moment where Rich is like, did I hurt your hand? And Bob does a classic roll up that finger. It's a perfect brother moment. <laughs> yep. And he said, and then there's talking about, he asked him about prison, so we find out Bob's been in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a moment where he says to Richie, don't be such a dreamer. And he says, my dreams are pure rock and roll. <laughs> um. And we get little glimpses of their lives, making tortillas and the babies and the kids and playing. And this is what Valdez says. He says he, that this is the Mexican Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. Which it is. And to be clear, this is the world he grew up in. Yes. He knows this world, you know. Mm-hmm. And and even though the the Jodes and Grapes of Wrath in the 30s, those people maybe aren't picking the fruit anymore. Yeah. There were still people in tents picking the fruit. And Someone's got to pick it. And guess what? Yeah, still people picking that yep, fruit. Absolutely, hard, brutal work that they don't get paid very much money for. Right, but they, you know they only send us the worst kinds. Right, that's stupid, stupid comment. Uh, what's great about this also is, is, by the way, it's stupid. Partially the idea of they send us. There's yeah, no they. There's no they sending people. Right, that's right. <laughs> what's really interesting too here is that this is such a ballsy way to start a film in the '80s about this story. Yeah. You start with migrant worker camps. How many people in the 80s in Virginia, where I was, right. knew what the hell a migrant worker camp was? So to start this way instead of this rock and roll thing, and you start with this really like uh, dark beginning with a plane crash, all of that, yeah. it's almost Bond-esque in a way because you've got an action thing to get you hooked into a situation and then following these characters forward. So I thought Valdez constructs this film so brilliantly. It's more than just a biopic. And I think oh, yeah. that's brilliant. Well, it's interesting too is like, of course, one of the things I do, particularly in a movie like this, is I get obsessed with sort of, well, what really happened and what yeah. is the truth? Yeah. And there really was this midair plane crash that was real. It really did kill uh, over the, his school. He right. was really gone that day. Mm-hmm. Really did kill this kid and he really was haunted by it. Yes. This isn't like made up for theatrical no, no. stuff. This is for real. Survivor's guilt. Yeah. And uh, Bob wants to take mom and the family out of this place and pulls out a big roll of money. Yep. And she only wants honest money, but he convinces her pretty quickly. We got to go. I think Richie does too. Richie being there kind of embarrasses her a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's later that night. Richie is playing for the the farm workers and the kids. And Bob is off with Elizabeth Pena making out. Ayo. And he finishes the song and they have some sex. And then he realizes after that it was her first time. And she says, he says, why didn't you tell me? And she says, well, you didn't ask. Yeah. And he's very tender with her. I think it's a, it's a, it's a fairly sweet scene. I guess so. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, it also shows you the two sides of Bob. One, he doesn't ask why because he wanted to get his rock, right. his, you know, his his uh, rocks off, and uh, but he does kiss her on the shoulder. He does have that moment yeah. of connection with her. So it's a complicated relationship. Well, I mean, Bob is going to be a complicated guy. Yeah. In his relationship with Richie, in his relationship right. with his mom, and definitely in his relationship with Rosie. Yeah. Like, it's going to be troubling. Really Absolutely. troubling. Absolutely. And later, uh, Richie sees Bob and Rosie together, and there's this look, and Bob kind of goes, oh, should I, was there something going on here? Complete lie. Yeah, because the, it was fairly clear he had his arm around her. Once again, what Bob wants, Bob will take. Yeah. Uh, and Richie's response is, I, for, I thought you'd changed. Yeah. Which means he'd probably done it before. Yeah. To Richie. Well, all sorts of things. I'm sure whether it was, you know, stealing the yeah. thing that Richie, the toy Richie wanted right, or whatever it was. Yeah. I'm sure it was that way. Uh, they say goodbyes and we're leaving the, the, the farm workers and Richie gets in the car with mom to drive away and Bob's on the motorcycle and there's Elizabeth Pena. Yeah. I think the look acting between... Issa Morales and Elizabeth Pena in this moment and the look with her dad is yeah. perfect filmmaking. Right. It's just a little eyebrow raise and her going, are you serious? And he's going, yeah, come along. And she goes, okay, I will. And dad going, wait, what's happening? All done with looks. It's great. <laughs> By the way, for those of you who don't know, Elizabeth Pena is also the voice of the assistant oh, right. to Syndrome in The Incredibles. So that should blow your mind. Her voice, she's a great, great. deep, rich voice. And she was a woman who lived life, out mm. drank the whole oh, really? nine. Oh, yeah. Elizabeth Pena has a very interesting story. It's Southern California. Three months later, Richie is dancing and listening to some rock and roll music. It's breakfast time. Uh, Rosie is there. She's obviously living there. Yeah. Richie enters. He kisses his sister. We asked, did Bob come home last night? No. Nope. Yeah, nope. He doesn't spend much time at home, does he? <laughs> I can't imagine the the circumstance of you just on a whim leave with this dude and you're now living in the house and that dude's not there and you're just realizing what you just got into. Well, the desperation of leaving that migrant farm camp yeah. for a chance at well, something else. The dude in the leather jacket with the yeah, motorcycle and the, the bad boy and the big roll of money. Of course. You know. What a shock. It didn't um, work out. And of course, then she looks at uh, uh, Richie and is like, well, you spend a lot of time here. And he goes, yeah, well, I'm me. Yeah, well, I'm me. And you chose poorly. <laughs> Richie, Richie is the sweetest. I mean, he is just almost a perfect person. He is, but he does have a spine of steel. Oh, yeah. To go for what he wants. Absolutely. He knows what he wants. Yes. And we're just going to see something else he wants because we end up at school and in <laughs> walks Donna. Donna. Uh, damn it. I didn't write down her name. Really? Uh, Danielle Von something. Uh, uh, here, I'll look it up while you talk about it. Here's what's interesting. You want to know who else auditioned for the role of Donna? Ooh, who? Laura Dern ha! and Helen Hunt. Oh, I think they made the right choice. I don't. You don't think I don't, so? I don't love her. I don't love her. In You're this. insane. Well, and I love Laura Dern. And Danielle, I, and Danielle Von Zernick. Yeah. Danielle Von Zernick. Yeah, but Laura Dern would have brought a... Uh, she wouldn't have brought. She would have brought a more worldly point of view. Who's the other one? Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. No, I don't no. know Helen Hunt in the mid eighties. Too mousy. The, Donna is wide open, and that's what makes her interesting. It works great. I'm not yeah. saying, but I, but I, there, I, particularly Laura Dern. She's just a fascinating person. Yeah. Who I always like, even in movies that I don't like. I like oh, her. Yeah. Well, I don't deny her talent. Yeah. Um. 
And there's a moment with him and his friend, and he goes, no, I kind of saw what I wanted. He's like, you're just way out of your class. Yeah. Concentrate on the audition. <laughs> and class is out, and we see those great 50s. We see greasers, and we see you know the girls in the skirts and all the outfits. Yeah. And he goes up to Donna, and keep, you're right. He is spine of steel. Yep. They call me high tone. You? Donna. You mind if I walk with you, Donna? Sure. And there's a very, very sweet scene. Yeah. And then the the bell rings and she goes into class and he runs off jumping happy, still carrying that guitar. Yep. It's cute. Um, Young love, man. We're at home. There's this dude working on an engine who's like a big kind of biker kind of guy. And Bob comes up and says, want to buy a kilo? And reveals a whole bunch of weed around his waist so we know he's dealing some drugs. Again, the yep. 80s. Weed. This is incredible <laughs> to show this so recently. Yeah. Well, and to not condemn him as yep. just the bad guy. Yep. I mean, we're going to get into some stuff with Bob. Sure. Uh, Richie's off. He's walking with his guitar. Now he's got a little amp, and there is a literal garage band. Uh, and these are the silhouettes, although not the famous silhouettes. <laughs> and we meet the the leader of the band, who's the saxophone guy. Um, and he's doing his audition, and they make fun of his little amp. He even plays a tenor sax, not an alto sax, which <laughs> makes him even less of a dude, a cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> I had no rankings in my there mind. There is. Oh my god! I played sax. There are rankings. Did you play a tenor sax? I played the baritone sax. That's baritone how terrible I was. That's a, so you're lower class with the baritone. But you have that sax. deep sound, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. But then you also have to lug this massive instrument Fair. everywhere. Fair. I hated band Fridays. But yeah, <laughs> you, you have the baritone sax, the tenor sax, and the alto. The alto is the cool sax. The tenor sax is the kind of like jerky t- sax, and the baritone sax is the sad sax. Yep. This is a, every fucking day. This asshole upstairs. Uh, Richie just starts playing. The song is gonna rock it up. And yeah. it's instant. He's ki- killing it. Killing it. Well, it's Saturday night, and I just got paid. Fool about my money, don't try to say My heart says, go, go, have a time, because it's Saturday night, and I'm feeling fine. Drummers start drumming. Right. The piano player jumps in, and the great reluctant look from the leader with the saxophone who goes, uh, I guess I'll, yeah. I'll join in. <laughs> Blue Diamond Phillips, you know. he's great. Yeah. Never played guitar before. He had three lessons a day, every day for months in order to do this. And of course, we should say that this is not him singing. Nope. This is all Los Lobos. Yep. I think I just heard of Los Lobos a little bit before this movie came yeah, out. I think so as well for me too. What did you hear them? Do? I don't remember. I knew okay. that I knew who they were okay. when the movie came out because I remember going, oh, it's Los Lobos. Cool. Right. Um, but I, I don't know if I knew that much of them. They had a song called Will the Wolf Survive mm. that I had heard on the Promised Land soundtrack, which is a quiet little film from the 80s with Kiefer Sutherland, Tracy Pollan, Jason Gedrick, and Meg Ryan. Mm. And it's all about these people coming back to a small town after they graduated high school and this terrible tragedy happens between Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Gedrick. Mm. Fantastic little film. If you haven't seen it, great score. James Newton Howard does the score as well. It's a great, great little 80s film. Um, and we should say, the, speaking of score, the score for this movie is by the great, great Carlos Santana. Yeah. Um, have I told you about how well, the one time I heard Santana live? No. Okay. This is a totally bizarre story. Okay. This is the weirdest, quote unquote, concert slash memorial service in history. <laughs> so uh, uh, Bill Graham, the great concert promoter yep. in San Francisco, died. And Bill Graham was Jewish and was a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. And his biography 
or autobiography had been about both his music stuff, but also surviving the Holocaust. So they had the memorial at my temple at Temple Emanuel in San Francisco. Wow. And this is the weirdest event. And, you know, my mom and my family is very involved with the temple. And so we got tickets to the memorial service at my temple. And it was readings from his autobiography by Danny Glover. Oh! So Danny Glover is up there reading. Wow. Uh, uh, Who's not Jewish. Not <laughs> not Jewish. Huh? Well, most of these people weren't Jewish. Sammy Davis is Jewish. You know. Carlos Santana playing guitar. Yeah. Uh, Grace Slick sang. I feel like there was another male singer, now I can't remember who it was, yeah. who performed. And then all these speakers from San Francisco, the world of San Francisco, because Bill Graham is so important to San yeah. Francisco because um, he's, you know, the Fillmore and all that stuff. So all these sort of 60s and 70s icons of music were there at my temple. And then we went to the little, like, you know, after reception where there's food and stuff, wandering around looking at, there are all these famous people. It was probably my first being close to, like, famous people. Wow. And man... Being in my temple where I had been to Yom Kippur services and, you know, big, huge services and hearing Carlos Santana wail on the electric guitar was the coolest. It's a huge temple, by the way. Huge dome ceiling seats, you know, probably four or five thousand people. I mean, it's a really big. Maybe it's not. Maybe two thousand. Wow. Really big. Um, It was like it was a crazy memorial service concert in my temple. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. We're back with uh, Bob and his buddies and Rosie, and we're high, and everyone's laughing. Everyone's having a great time. It seems like everyone's getting along really well, except Rosie. Rosie's not digging it. Nope. Tries to get her to smoke some weed. She doesn't want any of it. Baby, I need some action tonight. <laughs> they kind of bicker. She goes off into her room, and they live in like a trailer or mm-hmm. something. And Bob, you know, is doing the babe. I was only joking. And then she won't open the door. And now we have that great situation where a dude's having a fight with his girlfriend. And the other two people are there. And the woman, whose name I don't know, says to the guy, might be Max or something, says, hey, let's go. And he goes, where? Yeah. Great little moment. (laughs) And finally, she gets him to come out. And this is where Bob, you know, he's begging her to open the Mm -hmm. door. And then he's yelling. And then. He's banging and... Open the goddamn door! Leave me alone! Just go away! Go and get yourself drunk for all I care! Okay, man. You asked for it. You asked for it! Kicks the door open. Kicks the door open with the lines, okay, you asked for it, and takes off his shirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In essence, he rapes her. I don't think there's an essence, you know. You know, we don't see it, but it's implied. It. It's certainly implied. She doesn't want it. Right. And she, he, she, he does do it. Yeah. So it's certainly implied. Yeah. And of course, at this moment that Richie comes home yeah, and he hears Rosie crying through the window mm-hmm. and kind of asks if you're okay. And then he sees the motorcycle and then realizes Bob's there. And then Bob goes, what do you want, Richie? Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> not your business. Yeah. He goes inside, finds his mom who's asleep and wakes her up and says, mm-hmm. hey, I got into the audition. And now we go back to Bob and Rosie. And this is not like I expected. You are not like I expected. I don't have a life here. You're always gone. Do you think I like being here alone? And his response is, stop being such a drag. He goes to get a drink. He pours himself a shot. Mm-hmm. And she says, I'm pregnant. Yeah. And there's a great pause. I think there's great holding a shot acting yeah and then she, he doesn't respond he drinks his shot and she goes well aren't you gonna say anything well, what's there to say 
It's the casualness, which is yeah, good. yeah. It's not my first. Won't be my last. It's just complete dismissal of her. Well, his. Moment. I don't know if it's just machismo, although that's certainly part of it. But like the his need to maintain the image of who he thinks he is, yeah, over what is a very sensitive dude, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the battle within him. I think. Yeah. Is the I have to maintain dominance. I have to get the things that I want. Right. I'm being disrespected, and I have to stand up for it. And, but he loves his brother. He right. loves his family. He right. wants love. I think from Rosie. I don't know. That he's capable of the kind of love that he wants to have maybe right. with her. Right. Right. You know, and maybe this relationship to his father. But it also comes from a, right exactly because his father isn't who everyone talks about. Steve. That is not his dad. That's his stepdad. Yeah. His real dad is someone else who rarely gets referenced in the movie. So he feels a certain level of like inadequacy the whole time. Well, and we'll get into this lesser later. Than. He didn't know that that dad wasn't his dad. Right. For a while. Exactly. And then only found out later exactly. that he had another dad. By the way, uh, they shot a scene with his real dad. Oh. And you want to know who played him? Who? Almost? Luis Valdez. Oh. <laughs> and Luis Valdez cut himself out of the movie. Damn. That's real director. That's right real director. That's what it is. You go, I my scene is not good. It should be out of the movie. If only Tarantino would listen to that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will bet you cash money Luis Valdez is a way better actor than Tarantino. Yes, I agree. Um, um, <laughs> and, of course, the fight is going on. She throws stuff at him. There's yelling. And who hears it? Mom and Richie. Right. Richie, don't. Business. That's the thing in the culture, man. It's true. Yeah. It's true. You the their relationship is their relationship. Don't get involved. Yeah, this it's true. Richie and Donna are mm-hmm. together, um, and they're walking through her neighborhood, and he kind of describes her as rich, and she's like, "I'm not rich." <laughs> I love that moment. Once again, this is ve- remember '86. Valdez is making a very offhand comment, social class commentary. She's saying we're not rich because in the white point of view, she's not. She's not. In the Latino migrant worker point of view, she is. But objectively, they are well off. Well, this is wherever you are, people look at the next level and go, oh, no, that's rich. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like the people who are struggling to uh, be able to buy a car look at the people that can easily buy a car yep. with a huge loan payment and go, those people are rich. The people with the loan payment go, oh man, if only I could buy that car with cash. <laughs> and then the people yeah. who buy with a car with cash and they go like, well, I can't buy a house. you know. And then they're the people who could buy a house with cash. And where you really get in, I think this is just undeniable, you're rich, is the people that go, I feel like buying a second house or a third house <laughs> or a plane. When you get to like, I'm going to buy myself a plane. A G5. And you're still going, well, we're not really rich because I couldn't get the Learjet. You right. know, like, no, you're rich. Right, right. Um, but it, it's wherever you are, just become, you know, we, we're just used to the water we swim in. Exactly. Um, and and I love his just like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Um, Without saying a word. And then they get towards her house and dad has come home. Of course. This establishes, and I forget the name of the actor. He's been tons yeah, he's and been tons, tons and tons of stuff. But this is, like, again, it's very efficient filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You get it right away. Who's the big kid? Just a friend. Hmm. What is he, uh, Italian? And her look is great. Um, it's uh, the first gig. Mm-hmm. Richie's super excited because she's probably going to play, and Mom is out there in the car with the kids, and Bob is there, and that sax guy is playing. No, terrible. Charlina, don't you know I love you? 
He didn't know he was going to sing. Oh, really? He had there was actually a lip sync track Horrible. that he was, and they said, "Well, why don't you just sing?" And he's not really a singer. <laughs> Sounds like he's not that happy. Oh, I'm sure he isn't. But he is fantastically horrible. It, it is so painful. And of course, Richie in the background, being a good soldier, you know, chewing that bubble gum. Oh, Shalina, um, I love you. And then it's the end of the gig, and Richie didn't get to play. And the kids yeah. are in the car going, "Mommy, why isn't Richie playing?" And he walks out, gets in the car with mom, and she is pissed. They don't know who the hell they're dealing with. My granddaddy was a full-blooded Yaki Indian. Now, I don't know what that means exactly. It means don't fuck with her. <laughs> it means done. She peels out. Yeah. And then we cut to the explosion of the planes. Yeah. And we're back to this, and kids, uh, you know, we're looking at this kid as debris falls, and then he wakes up. And there's Bob, drunk. I'm sorry, Colonel. I didn't mean to wake you up, but I, I just need a place to crash, man. And gets into bed, and <laughs> there's some jokes about hoping he doesn't mistake him for Rosie. Yep. Um, and he finds a picture of his dad, which is Steve, who was in World War One. Uh, that's not the real picture of Steve, by the way. Okay. And now Bob has diagnosed what Richie's problem is. Mm-hmm. Sperm pressure. <laughs> Richie needs to get laid. Yeah, man. We're back at school. He's talking to Donna, uh, and that she wanted to go to the gig, but Dad wouldn't let her out. And now we get to this bar, and Bob has kind of brought Richie in a motorcycle, and Mom is inside talking to the bartender, saying, "You got to let my kid play." He's like, "No, you can't come in. He's underage." He's going to be singing, not drinking. Yeah, rock and roll to a bunch of cowboys. Come on. My husband Steve drank himself to death in here, Howard. Don't you think you always boast something? This is one weird inaccuracy. I don't quite understand why they did. Oh, Steve did not. Steve didn't drink himself to death. Oh, wasn't an alcoholic, as far as I can tell. And what he, the way he actually died, was he was a World War One soldier, and he had been hit with mustard gas, and he suffered the effects of mustard gas with lung disease for his thirty years after. Wow, that's what caused his death. Not, wow. not according to what I was able okay. to find. Okay, but it does talk the bartender into letting him in. He mm-hmm. comes in, he sets up. Bob sits down to the drums. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh my god, how's this gonna go? Yeah, Richie goes, howdy. Not a good response. Right. He says, I got a song from is it Lubbock, Texas? Lubbock, Texas. And he goes into Oh Boy. Yeah, Buddy Holly's Oh Boy. One, two, three, four. All my love, all of my kissing. You don't know what you've been missing, oh boy. I love Buddy Holly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, this was the music I listened to, by the way. Mm-hmm. I really in the eighties was when I started listening to the oldie station. Oh, yeah. And I listened to fifties and sixties way more than I listened to modern mm-hmm. music. Which I guess just, just to show that I, I really haven't changed. I'm still the same, like not into the popular thing yeah. as I was back then. Um, Bob's drumming is so beautifully terrible. Yeah. And Isa's like, no, I'm a better drummer than this. Because he's just too fast. He's just off the yeah. beat. He throws in an oh boy. Yeah. But the, the crowd loves it. Yeah. Start, Start dancing. dancing. Yeah. And we get a great cut from directly from Oh Boy to Bob playing the rhythm on a beer can. Yeah. Everyone's the next, happy. Everyone's happy. Next day in the house. Um, and he, you know, we're talking about making money. And Rich is like, no, I just want to make my music. Yeah. He's such a pure character. Isn't he, though? Yeah. 
And mom's on board now. She said, you need a big place. You need exposure. She's going to be his manager. She says she can get the American Legion Hall yeah. because Steve was a World War I veteran. And then we kind of poke at Bob a little bit. What, Bob? You don't think I can do it? Just for that, you can be my flunky. Oh, mom, mom. Thanks, but no thanks. Anybody but Bob, okay? Yeah, I don't. This seems to come out of nowhere. But anyone but Bob to help me. Right. It seems to come out of nowhere. Well, I mean, unless Richie still, and maybe this is why they threw in the trilogy, the triangle, triangle. Thing, because like he's still maybe smarting about the fact that Bob. Well, and you know, Bob is clearly a drunk, right. and Bob is now in his room, and Bob, you know, had the whole conflict with Rosie. Right. I think it's more about that. But Bob was also there drumming along to help him, hundred percent, and drove him to the gig. Well, so this is a where, bit of perspective loss here. Well, and this is also where. Your job is making the movie is to get the characters want where you right. want and where and the and the the arc with Bob is he feels less than yeah. than his brother yeah. and we want to po- we want to keep poking that Plus, because that's our conflict. Bob Isai Morales is darker skinned. That oh. that factors in as well. Uh, Lou Diamond is half and half because Steve and uh, uh, Connie that's a half and half situation. So he's lighter and so there's this natural jealousy hmm. that imply that goes there of course too. i never thought about that and of course you're right hmm. but that's just coming from my background yeah this shit i don't see you well know. it's something it's something i brought up on collider live last week and i'll make it just a real quick uh tangent it's like the new picture they issued from west side story uh for those picture for the seven steven spielberg those are the most white looking latinos you could find really in their actual shots their actual headshots hmm. they're darker skinned but for that picture they lightened them up, and I was fucking pissed. And the two darker-skinned uh, uh, Latino actors are looking away from the camera. And so it's little subtle shit like that that goes on, and people don't catch, and white people go, what are you making a big deal about? This is something you don't understand or you don't know because you don't have this experience. Right. And getting it highlighted to you is not a place for you to go, oh, that's stupid. It's a place for you to go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Let me look at it again. This is what I had to push back a number of people who were like, you were just making, I was, no, there, that's something you don't understand. Take a look at it. Spike Lee did a whole film called School Days about lighter skin versus darker skin black people. It also exists in the Latino community. It's funny. I did. I never thought about it in the Latino community. I mean, like I knew about it in the African-American community, yeah. largely from that film. And Right. From School Days. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. This is why, look, I basically really hope that West Side Story is good. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But but I don't understand why Steven Spielberg would do it. Me too. Just because it's a passion project doesn't mean you get to do it or you should do like it. What? And why isn't a Latino involved as a co-director with you on this? I don't, I don't understand. Bullshit. First of all, it's a great film. You know, so remaking a great film is always a weird thing. That won eleven Oscars. Yeah, and then and then it's like and, and and you know, of course, it is a great film that was made by a bunch of Jews. Sure, you know, three Jewish gay men created the show. <laughs> you know, and so it, it, but I trust Jewish gay men. Go, yes, go. <laughs> um, but but like, but still today to go, and you should be. If I were doing a film like that, I would be so careful. Yeah, and make sure that I had people around me to tell me the things I'm missing, like you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's, like, again, and Spielberg, who's a genius, n- knows that film is a collaborative process. Mm-hmm. Like, he wouldn't have done Schindler's List without talking to a bunch of Holocaust survivors. Imagine a Latino person doing a Schindler's List. Well, Imagine I, that reaction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is the frustrating part of the situation. People think, oh, because they're white, they can do everything. Right. But a Latino goes to tell a white story, let's see it happen. Well, 
you know and, and, and this is the thing is like well this is what where did we where did i start on this film is all the jewish directors we've had right now i'm not unhappy that we did you know a coen brothers movie right, or right, rob right. reiner or steven spielberg i think these I. are great directors right right but it's the absence of the other yeah. that is the problem you know it's like it's like i don't want to stop a great director from directing because he's white or Jewish. But to say that all these, that these particular people are able to tell the stories of everybody and yet not have these other voices is a really problematic situation. In 2019. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, But (laughs) regardless, we're going off to the American Legion and Bob is pissed off. Yeah. Um, And we're at the American Legion and up comes the silhouettes, the band, and our lead guy goes... You're dreaming, Valenzuela. They wouldn't even let us into this place. No, 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 man. I told you. My mom, she set it all up. Since when is your mama running this band? Nope. We're not doing it. We're out. Yeah. Your mom doesn't make decisions for the silhouettes. She, he walks to the car. The rest of the band, they stay with Richie. Are you guys coming or what? I guess it's what? I guess it's what? That's a great, that's a great line. <laughs> Uh, interestingly enough, so the, the rebellion in the band didn't happen. But what is interesting is that this was a multicultural band. There was yeah. a Japanese guy, an African-American guy, an Italian guy. That was what was in this band, which is kind of cool. Well, like California. Yeah. Well, this is, I'm, I'm a California boy. Yep. Like, it, it is funny the things about me, and I'm particularly I'm a Northern California mm-hmm. boy, that are different, you know, the different ways of looking at it from growing up in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, and mom's painting some signs for the gig. Bob looks at him like, that looks terrible. <laughs> Wrong thing to say, because now, of course, he's painting the signs for the gig. And then Bob's man, when Bob, Bob's working it. Yeah. He puts up those signs. He's got his guys doing it. Mom is on a speaker truck. I don't know how they got this. Advertising the gig. We're decorating the hall. You know, Richie's looking good. Rosie says he looks handsome. Yeah, the girls are going to go crazy. There's only one girl I care about. Who's that? Nobody would know. Is this meant to be set up to be a particular rosy moment in terms of making her jealous like she is regretting her choice? I can't tell watching the scene. I don't know. Maybe there's an element of that, but it doesn't seem predominant. So I, I don't know if it's there, but I think it's more to push forward the fact that he's in love with Donna. Like he's very much in love with Donna. 100%. Yeah. And it's treated, and we don't know. I mean, yeah. they, by the way, Donna, they went and talked to Donna. She's an advisor on this movie, mm, too. That's great. Yeah. No, they really did the real, like, we want to talk to these people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he goes up to mom, and mom's like, we got to pack this place because I spent rent money yeah. on this. And the thing, we got to say, like, rent money for this family, <laughs> that's next month, you're out on the street. One of these days, I'm going to buy you the house of your dreams, mom. That's a promise. And now we're at the gig. People are dancing and Donna's there and people are screaming and in walks Joey Pants. Joe Pantaleone. Joey Pants. Uh, he's great. Yeah. This is my first exposure to him. I think is this is uh, no mine's a risky business. Ah uh, yeah, see I never I didn't see risky business. Oh, I yeah. totally saw that in the theater. Yeah. And there's no sign of Bob, and all the kids are cheering, and he blows a kiss to Donna. Here's a little number. Here's a little number for the criminal element here tonight. I was walking down the street, minding my own affair, when two policemen grabbed me unaware. It says your name, Henry. And I says, why, show. This is, you're the boy I've been looking for. Oh, 
my, it's my favorite song on the soundtrack. It's great. Yeah. It's great. I've yet to find it at a karaoke bar. I wish. Oh. I fucking love this song. Yeah. And as he's singing this song, in sh- sh- Bob shows up, drunk, yep. truly obnoxious, beautiful, obnoxious acting. Yep. Yeah, pushes, gets through, starts a fight. And of course, Richie watching while performing and then jumps off the stage and the crowd goes nuts. Because someone punched his brother. Yeah. No matter what the problems are, it's family's family. Family's family, yeah. And uh, it's later. Everything's a wreck. Mom's yelling at Bob. Uh, And there's this interesting moment. She says, how could you do this to Richie? To Richie? I did this to me, okay? So before we go to the next line... What does that mean? I did this to me. I'm the one who made an ass of myself. I'm self-aware enough to know that I gave in to my drunkenness again and ruined something for my family. Yeah. I did this to me. Well, right. And there's sort of a, a self-destructive, yeah. a consciously self-destructive part of this. Yeah. I know this isn't good for me in any way. Right. There's nothing good that's going to come out of it for me. And I did it almost to hurt myself. Right. Because I you can't know? figure out what's going on with me. It's my Bob. Always thinking of others first. Which is another weird line. It's a terrible dig. Yeah. Like it's a horrible dig. At well, because song. he really just said, no, I did this. Right. I, he's acknowledging something on some level. Well, he, she does have a bias towards Richie. I think she does too. Yeah. Well, and, and then this is what we can't. The, the weird thing about being a parent now is that you can't, you can never go back and do a different choice. Right. And you don't know. So it's like, let's say the kid is repeatedly misbehaving. And so you go. Is the kid repeatedly misbehaving because I'm showing favoritism to the other kid? Mm -hmm. Or am I showing favoritism to the other kid because the kid is previously is is misbehaving? Yeah. Is that you can't go to the cause and effect. If Bob has been fucking up forever, it makes sense. And Richie's awesome. Yeah. It makes sense why she's doing doing favoritism. But did she show favoritism before Bob started fucking up or to what degree? And we don't know. Right. Shut your goddamn mouth. Hey, man, don't take it out on Rosie, okay? You don't understand, man. You don't understand a goddamn thing! What do you think the whole fucking world revolves around you? And next day, Richie's walking home, and Donna picks him up in a beautiful red convertible, <laughs> which apparently is exactly the car that she had. Oh, wow. Um, and she asks, is this where you live? No. I live uh, down the street. I'll take you home. Why don't we just go for a drive, huh? And she says, okay, you drive. And now he's driving. Um, and of course, this is on a camera truck, so he's, you know, they're on a trailer. Mm. Um, and they had what they had to do because they did not have a lot of money mm-hmm. was they couldn't just put all period cars everywhere. So there are times where they've blocked cars or they've covered them with things, or they're just cutting in such a way so you're not actually <laughs> seeing that this is filmed in the 80s. Uh, and it's a really sweet scene. How come you've been avoiding me? Isn't that blow out at the dance? Don't be silly. Then what's the problem? My dad. Doesn't mean I can't ask you out on a regular date. Why don't you ask me? <laughs> That's very sweet. Yeah. We're at uh, Columbia Pictures, I think, and uh, in comes a garbage truck, and there's Bob, and they're dealing with all the props, and Bob finds some... Old Woody Woodpecker stills, which actually what Bob found were Disney stills, but they didn't have the rights to them. So they had to switch. 
John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, and a pink Cadillac pulls up to the house and out comes Joey pants and he knocks on the door, tries to speak Spanish. He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Goes out back, finds Richie again, you know, asks about Spanish and Richie says, I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. And mom says, well, we speak business. <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, of course. I went and looked up. He did speak Spanish. Yeah. He didn't speak a lot. Yeah. He, 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 he spoke, he could kind of get along in Spanish, which is a really interesting choice. In terms of, particularly if he was working as a farm worker, mm-hmm. all around Spanish speakers, did the parents pati- per- no. consciously stop him from speaking Spanish? Well, here's what I'll tell you my experience, and maybe there's a part of it. My parents didn't want me to grow up with any Spanish accent. My, right. Both my parents have a Spanish accent because they were born in, in Bolivia. Uh, very thick Spanish accent, yeah. by the way. So my parents sat me down in front, of, in front of a television since I was a baby to learn how to speak English without an accent. So that I would imitate what I heard on the television. Right. So school, 
and the television. They didn't even want me to have even a, like a Chicano, any kind of version of a Chicano right. accent or a, a Bolivian version of a Chicano accent. They didn't want me to have any of that with my English. So they were fervent about it. But there is also there are also people, sons, daughters, whatever, who don't want to learn Spanish because they want to be so American that they don't want to speak the Spanish language. Later, they come back to it and um, learn it again. Right. But I was taught both growing up, so I can speak both. But some people don't. And so, like, my sister rarely speaks it. But Richie, it makes sense. Richie doesn't want, Richie's American rock star. Well, he doesn't want to necessarily speak. But it had to start, it had to be the choice of the parents. You know what I mean? It's not always the choice of the parents. Sometimes the kids rebel and don't want to learn. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, so dad is, is Mexican, I assume. His mm-hmm. last name's Valenzuela. Mm-hmm. So, so, but his name's Steve. Steve. They don't call him Esteban. Right. You know what I mean? He's Steve. Right. And the kids' names are Richard and Bob. Yeah. It's not Ricardo. Yeah. Richard. You know, and so I think there's a clear choice Yes. To assimilate. To assimilate, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's why, so I, my family, you know, I was a Jew, grew up celebrating Christmas. And the reason is, is because in the 1880s and 90s, those generations of Jews, Reformed Jews coming from Germany, uh, Prussia, those places went, we want to be Americans. Yeah, yeah. There was no Yiddish in my home. They went, no, we want to be completely passing. They're yeah. still Jewish, still went to temple, but being very American. And it's... I have no judgment on either way. Yeah. You know, like the lots of, of communities come to this country and go, we want to maintain our Italianness yeah. or our Irishness or our Vietnamese-ness and have our community and eat our kinds of food. And there are other groups that say, going to be full American and yeah. either way is great. But this sounds like one where they went, we're American. Yeah. Richard and Bob. Hi, Richie. Mind if I call you Richie? Um, my name is Bob Keane. I'm president of Delphi Records in Hollywood. I really dig your music. And... I'd like to record it. And they go off to his little studio and he sits down to that reel to reel. And the first thing that comes up is, I need my band. Yeah. And man, he hits him really quickly. Wait a minute, man. Look, I, I, I understand about friendship, but I'm being honest here. Not everybody in this world gets a shot at the brass ring. You're going to have to ask yourself what's more important your friends or your music. And there's a nod. And we think he's going to say, Music. Mm-hmm. But what does he say instead? My family. My family. My family. Yeah. That's a great mm-hmm. little bit. Um, and then we're recording. He's singing Your Mine. And by the way, they have the implication that that Joey Pants is playing guitar. Yeah. <laughs> but it's totally blocked. He didn't yeah. know any guitar. And he's just kind of moving like as if he is. Yeah. Um, and then we're kind of in a montage, which is Bob applies to this art contest. With $500 in prizes. And Richie and Donna are walking arm in arm in school. And then Bob gets a letter and calls Rosie. And Richie finishes the song. It's a really nice performance of Los Lobos and Lip Syncing and Lou Diamond Phillips. Mm -hmm. It's very well done. Great look from Joey Pants, who says, Fantastic. Um, And again, where do we go to? the basketball dream and the planes and the wreckage. And now we see like body in the wreckage yeah. and Richie screams. And we're now we finally hear what this is. Cause he's telling Donna yeah, that, diner. yeah, that he wasn't there when it happened. 
but in his dream he is, and his best friend got killed, which is true, crushed by a falling plane. I mean, the odds of a midair collision over a school, yeah. but it really did happen. And there were people that they talked to when they were filming, because they actually filmed at the what had been San Fernando Middle School and was now San Fernando High School or something like that. Right. There were people there that had been there that day when this crash happened that they talked to about wow. what had happened that day. Uh, and he was at his grandfather's funeral and that the funeral, you know, essentially saved his life. Um, and his mom says that it saved him for something special. And you know what that is? Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Stars don't fall out of the sky. Stars don't fall out of the sky. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, they do. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, and now we got Bob arguing about hauling garbage and whether or not he gets respect. And he's getting a bunny drunk. Yeah. <laughs> With tequila, that was Isai's uh, choice. But you can't, you can't, and you can't fault Rosie here too. And and the film kind of semi tries to fault her for not understanding Bob's dreams. The truth is, Bob has been such a jerk for so long. It's not like all of a sudden you go, oh, I'll take another chance with this guy. No, well, and he's not doing. Richie literally carries a guitar yeah. everywhere he goes. Right. I mean, what's Bob doing? Right. You know, I think he really did have dreams, and he really did want to mm -hmm. be this kind of artist. He never. People want to believe that oh, Bob went on to be some artist at Disney or something. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Bob went back to drugs, and I think Bob ended up being a drug counselor. Though he did get sober oh, that's great. and ended up being a drug counselor. And there's footage I've seen of him. Oh. Uh, that's in some of the behind the scenes stuff. Nice man. He's still Bob. He's leather jacket. He's got <laughs> white spiked hair. He's got tattoos, and he's hanging out on set. He's, hey man, it's Bob, man. Yeah. And he's talking to Richie, and they're talking about whether or not he's, you know, moving in with him. And It's cool if you move in with me, man. But what about when the baby comes? Shouldn't you be with Rosie? Hey. Hey. My old man wasn't around when I was born. Why should I be? Oh, Bob. <laughs> um, and Mom comes out and says that he's going to be recording at a real studio on Wednesday. And he runs and picks up Mom in a big hug, and Bob's reaction is great. Yeah. Because you can see the left outness, and Richie throws it to his brother. Richie tries to include him, yeah. Yeah, Bob has great news, too, which he does. Yes. He won this contest, and he gets $500. And, of course, mom's reaction is, oh, that's going to be great for the baby. Because she's thinking about the money and the baby. Right. And Bob's like, what about me? No, I won this contest. There's art lessons, and I yeah. get a drawing table. And this is where she does. She mm -hmm. grabs them both and says, all our dreams are going to come true. Yeah. The recording for Let's Go. This is one of the scenes I so remembered. Yeah. I just made such a strong, it's so well done, it's so well edited, of the repetition of trying to get this song right. Well, I'll kiss you once and I'll kiss you once again. Cut! Don't rewrite the song. Just do it the way you did the first time, okay? And one of the things is that he improvises on the lyrics, which you can't do. Yeah, right. You gotta lock them down. Well, 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 well let's go. And then, then there's this one where they go, cut. That time was us. Which is <laughs> so true in the studio. Yep. Um, and you could see Lou Diamond Phillips is great at getting frustrated. Yeah. They had very little time to shoot. This was not a big budget movie at all. What a surprise. And they had like a day to shoot this whole montage, yeah. which meant that Los Lobos had to record a whole bunch of different versions of the song. He had to memorize all these different versions of the song and he had to perform them and then he had to and so it wasn't acting yeah. that he's getting frustrated. At one point, Lou Diamond Phillips threw a chair 
while he was doing this thing because he just was so it was so hard to yeah. do all of it. And this is a guy who hadn't played guitar before. I mean, this this is tough, right? And they kind of stop and say, "Listen, you have to do it the exact same way every time because it has to be clean. You can't improvise on the lyrics, and we got to get a perfect version that we can cut together." And there's this one moment where he says, "This isn't Mexico." Yeah, it gets a big reaction from Richie, who said it was. I live there. I understand the tradition of the song. They're always changing the lyrics. Look, man, I've never even been to Mexico. My music is my music, huh? You tell him, Carnal. Of course, Bob's there too, and Bob is on Team Richie. <laughs> and we kind of get into how many more takes is this going to take? And it's like, well, it takes what it takes. It takes what it takes. Yeah. That was good. That was good. Same energy. Just try it again. Come on, let's go and do it again, again and again and again, and then again and again and again. Come on, let's go and do it again. We finally get to the end of the song. And at this point, it seems like he's grown. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like he's gone through being frustrated to be like, okay, this is what the gig is. Yep. Should I get a new roll of tape? No. I think we got him. I can cut something here. Nice work. 60 takes. And Bob's response is, I didn't hear a difference in one. <laughs> Joey has one more thing to discuss. Yeah. The name. From now on, it's Richie with a T. R-I-T-C-H-I-E. I got a new last name for you, too. Valens with an S. Richie Valens. Which Bob doesn't take too kindly to. That's for shit, man. I mean, Valenzuela was our dad's last name. You can't just cut it in half. Richie also doesn't like it initially, but then eventually comes around on it and says, trust me. And I like what he says, the button on the scene. Look, it, it could have been worse. You could have been Ricky's Zuela. By the way, our good friend Dave Rapp, who's been on the show, ah. says he might be related to uh, Ricardo Valenzuela. Whoa. He has Valenzuelas in his family. Yeah. Apparently, it's one big clan going back to Oaxaca or Jalisco, I oh, wow. which province. Okay. And that he says Fernando Valenzuela is also connected to the same family. Wouldn't be surprised. So, so shout out to our friend Dave Rapp mm -hmm. slash Valenzuela. Richie calls Donna's house. Father answers. Is Donna in? No, Donna's not in. This is her father. Can I help you? Don ends up outside the door crying, and Mom comes out, and we hear Dad yelling about jungle music from inside. Jungle music. I hate Dad when he acts like that. I just hate him. Apparently, Donna's parents got divorced shortly after this, by the way. What a surprise. Yeah. Um, Rick Dees at the radio station. <laughs> I had no idea who Rick Dees was when I saw this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but really? he's a real disc jockey. Oh, and, yeah. And the thing they said was it was great having him on because, A, he loved doing it. But then also is that every single morning on his radio show, when the movie, he talked about La Bamba. Yep. So it's free advertising. Richie's got a song headed for the top of the charts with a bullet. Richie Valens, come on. Let's go. And he asked, uh, Valens, what kind of what name is that? French? <laughs> How'd you know? Um, <laughs> and we're at, you know what we don't have in this movie, which surprises me? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because this movie, there, there are lots of music biopics. This movie does not follow them. Wow. You know, you know, it's like the classic structure of the musical biopic mm -hmm. is the kid who has the dream, who works really hard to get right, the dream, right. who gets the dream, and then goes, because of his personal problems that he brought with him, goes into excess, yeah. drug addiction, problems, and then eventually redemption. Right. Like I just saw Rocket Man. Yeah, great movie. Um, yeah, and it follows that structure. Yeah. Well, this movie doesn't have that structure because right. the dude 
died at yeah. 17. But one of the scenes that's in almost every one of these movies that isn't in this one is the first time you hear your song on the radio. Yeah, no. Because we don't have Richie. In fact, it seems that when mom's listening to it in the diner, it's not the first time it's played. It's yeah. played It's played a bunch. And now uh, Rick Dees is interviewing Richie, and there's a, some deal where if they guess who he is, he's going to show up to deliver pizzas, and we see him do that, and it's mobbed by girls. Handing out records. Yeah, tries to call for Donna. She's not there. Mm-hmm. Knocks on Donna's door. Mom answers, and out comes Donna, and they go for a walk. And there's sort of this idea, like, are you seeing other guys? And at first she goes, yeah. They I'm don't gonna... go for a walk. They stand at the doorstep and have it. Oh, they have it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have it back and forth there at the doorstep. I can't just tag along to all your appearances. I mean, all those other girls. Going. I don't care about those other girls. What am I supposed to do? You don't have time for me right now. You want to break it off? I don't know what I want anymore. And it's like, oh, I'll see you around. Yeah. And she goes, Richie, wait. And yeah. walks right off. Um, it's the middle of the night. Bob's trying to sleep and Richie is playing. And we hear the very first strains of Donna. Yeah. It's late at night. Biker and Bob roll up to Richie at a phone booth playing Donna into the phone. And tells her, like, that's your song. Yeah. Um, and it, I love Donna. Donna's a great song. Yeah. Um, it's a good and, song. And they hang up the phone, and Bob has finally, like, I know what your problem is. We have to go take care of something. And I believe the line is, get you some tail, man. Yeah. And he goes, but oh, that, man. But that's not what is said in the actual movie. He said a different word. Oh, yeah, right. That had to do with a cat. hey um, But they did not put that in the film. And we end up in oh. Tijuana, which okay. is, is shot. I forget where they said it was shot. It's not shot in Tijuana. No. They argue a little bit about the name. And then we end up in a house of ill repute, <laughs> if you will. And Richie, still with his guitar, yeah. is, you know, nervous and... Bob immediately finds a girl, and then the the mariachi band starts playing, and he looks over, and who is it? Los Lobos. Los Lobos. They're so recognizable. Even then, even when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's Los Lobos. (laughs) Um, And they start playing Bamba. Yeah. La Bamba. Hey, Richie, come here, man. Richie, I brought you here to get laid. Later. And he walks up and starts playing with them on his guitar. And that shows you that moment, walking away from all the available women that he yeah. could pay for and have that Bob was going to, you know, pay for, to go and listen to that song and play. That's what his real passion was. You know what's interesting? So I just we're just saying that that this doesn't follow the basic structure of the rock biopic. Well, all those rock biopics, uh, yeah. Ray Charles or uh, Johnny Cash yeah. or Elton John, those are all fucked up people yep you know is that they are people that for as much as they're great musicians they're dealing with a lot of internal pain yeah and that internal pain is going to manifest itself through addiction and you know making all these bad choices mm-hmm. that's not richie bob fills that role in the movie bob exact that's a great point mm-hmm. bob, if bob had become the rock star he would have had the classic rock oh, biopic yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's not who becomes richie from the way the movie presents it is a pure person mm-hmm. and then we cut to back home Knock on the door, rain, middle of the night, Rosie, she's sick, yep. having the baby. Yep. My God, where's Bob, for God's sake? Uh, I'm going to get Richie. I'm going to get Richie, okay? It's going to be okay. We cut to the daytime in a close-up of a dog, <laughs> and Richie wakes up in a weird place, man. Yeah. There's like, uh, 
like uh, taxidermy animals hanging from the ceiling and Snakes. up walks this old dude. Um, and this guy, by the way, he's an actor from El Teatro Campesino oh, cool. who was dying of throat cancer at the time that he filmed this. And the, he said this was his proudest. This guy had marched with Cesar Chavez. This was a real do. And uh, this was one of his proudest moments. I can see that. And uh, Bob rolls up. It says that he's been screwed, blued, and tattooed. Well, at least tattooed because he has a tattoo. So did Richie get laid? Uh, I think so. I don't know. Yeah. He drank a lot. Seems like he drank a lot and got laid. Got that, got that tattoo. I'm going to believe that he didn't. I'm okay. going to believe he got the tattoo and he got drunk. And he, I think he played with the band. Oh. But I don't know. I mean, obviously, we don't know. This is really gross when he skins a snake. What's he saying? He says life is a snake. A snake crawling out of its own dead skin. Like a dream. And then we hear that this is Bob's sort of spiritual father. Yeah. And he gives Richie this necklace and says, and Bob translates for him. To live is to sleep and morir. To die is to awaken. I told him about your nightmares. That talisman will help if you believe in it. If you believe in it. I love that line because I think that's 100% true. Is that even though I'm not religious and I don't, is that if things we place belief in do have power. Power of the mind. Absolutely. And I love this last moment. What is all this? Mexico. (laughs) That's great. And again, we get a great Carlos Santana guitar riff off of that. Mom's not happy. Mexico! You went to Tijuana without telling anybody? A fine pair of sinvergüenzas. I could expect this from Bob, but not you, Richie. And Richie asked about Rosie. She was all alone in here. I had a driver to the hospital myself. She was in labor all day with a baby. Do you hear me? Do you care about anything? And Bob walks out, uh, and Richie asks if it was a boy or a girl, which Bob did not ask. And it's a girl, and her name is Brenda. Yeah, Brenda, even more Americanized. Very American. My dad wasn't there when I was born. Yeah. He was in Bolivia. Mm. Uh, working on working out some immigration thing for my uncle. Was it in Virginia you were born? Or? Yeah, no, no, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. So my mom had the baby by herself wow. in Philadelphia. My dad didn't come home for 10 months. Wow. Yeah. 10 months. It was a source of, uh, yeah, it got brought up in the big fights whenever yeah. they had fights. It got brought up. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, we live in such, I don't want to say we live in a spoiled world because there's a lot of stuff that's hard. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that people had to do. You know, like my great great grandfather was born in a covered wagon. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the 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 stuff, the way people had to live, and yeah. the stuff that the women in particular had to do. Oh is yeah, a lot. And we cut to the finishing of his recording of Donna. Oh, Donna. Oh, Donna. I think this 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 and the La Bamba are Lou's best performances. Oh yeah. The passion that you see and the way that it's filmed and the yeah. voice of, I forget the name of the Los Lobos singer who does mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Um, we're going over some tour dates and one of them is flying to San Francisco. No, he's going to drive. He's not going to fly. This is all true, by the way. He had a real fear of flying. And he, and Joey asks, What's, we need another song to go along with Donna. And he says, I want to do La Bamba. La Bamba. It's not rock and roll. It is the way I play it. No, 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 no. 
It's a folk song. I don't want to offend anybody, okay? Besides, it's in Spanish. That's how I want to sing it. Rock and roll in Spanish. You got to be crazy. And there's no, I mean, this is it's so- a folk song. Yeah, it's a Mexican folk song in Spanish. It's yeah. 1958, I think. And it's like, the idea that anyone would put this on the album, this, an album on this time is amazing. A rock and roll album. Rock and roll like album. Like says, Nat King, Nat King Cole had sung in Spanish right. before with the standard stuff, but yeah. rock and roll Spanish song. Well, and like Nat King Cole, a big established star. Exactly. Uh, who didn't change his name from a Mexican name to sound more American, and now you're going to put out a song in Spanish? Yeah. Um, I love La Bamba. I always have. Uh, it's a great song, and it's where I first really started to learn about like the three chord songs. Oh yeah, La Bamba's a three chord song. Twist and Shout, Beatles is a three. I mean, there's so many songs that fit into exactly this chord progression. Yeah, but that is rock and roll. Hell yeah! And but Richie's confident and calls he calls Joey Bobo, which from now on I will call him Bobo because I don't remember his name, na- real name. Keen, I think is this. Yeah, although he changed his name from Coon. <laughs> um, we're driving along, and the song that's playing on the radio is. Hello, babe, is is uh, the big bopper. Big, the big bopper. Yeah, Chantilly Lace. Hello, baby. Sounds like a dream, man. Beat the hell out of taking the train. And they talk about, okay, we're going to drive to San Francisco, but we got to go to American Bandstand in Philly, and we're going to fly there. And he accepts it. Bob trying to get in to see his daughter. Damn it, I'm going to see my daughter! I'm this is among the worst. But we also are, but also it's finally revealed why he has such anger at times at his mom when he kicks the door and says, You always worry about Richie. What about me? What about me? I, I know you don't give a goddamn about me. You had me turned in. You had me locked up. You had me locked up. You had me put in yeah. prison. Do you think I could ever forgive you for that shit? Yeah. And then throws the thing through the window. So this is we finally get to the source of Bob's anger about this whole situation. He feels like his family betrayed him. Well, at the same time, though, Rosie is saying, you don't want a wife. You want a love slave. Yeah. You can kick him around. Yeah. Did, did we already pass the line where he says, essentially, I, I have to force her to have sex with me? Yeah. Back when they were with the bunny rabbit. That oh, was that conversation. We should, we should talk about that. Okay. It is. And it's, you know, this is the world. The world has changed in our perception of these things, but it's not that this movie treats this as an okay thing. No. Like the world that Rosie is in and how Bob behaves around her is pretty horrible. But and I'll tell you the truth. The world still exists. Like oh, sure. This for people of a certain uh, 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 upbringing or, or, or social class status, the relationships like this are standard, regardless of race. Yeah. It's standard, this terrible thing of like, Forcing themselves and women feel like they have no uh, avenue to yeah. fight back against this, unfortunately. Well, this is most of history. Yeah. Women, women were treated as chattel, as, as the property literally or figuratively of their men. And yeah. it takes it takes us a long time to, you know, unlock these chains, yeah. you know. And, and the idea of someone, as Rosie will later, later say, essentially being a sexual slave, yeah. it's pretty brutal, Yeah, you know. We're on an airplane. Stuart is hanging out drinks, and Bobo and <laughs> Richie is are on the plane. And Richie is really nervous, mm-hmm. and he says, "Which uh, the actual actual manager said he really did confide to him on a plane." You know what, Bobo? I've always believed I was going to die in a plane crash. 
I always believed I would die in a plane crash. Yeah. He really did believe this. This is not just made up for dramatic. There are some things that are made up, you yeah. know, to, to enhance the drama. Like, for instance, the uh, necklace. Mm-hmm. That's not real. Right, right. That didn't exist. And what, but what Louis Valdez said, which I like, is that, like, sometimes in films, what we have to do is to create through poetry and imagery things that are too complicated and subtle, subtle to sum up. Yeah. And he said that the necklace is a symbol both of the fear of flying and of the brothers and their relationship. That's a good point. And that this is really a movie about brothers. Yeah. And that, by the way, is something they discovered in the process of talking to Bob and the family. They knew uh, they wanted to do the story about this rock star. Mm-hmm. They didn't really knew that the story was really a story about brothers yeah. until they really got to know the people involved. Mm-hmm. And then the necklace became a, a symbol of that. Yeah. American Bandstand. Uh, we got Dick Clark. That is not, in fact, him introducing Richie. Apparently, there's only two or three pieces of film, like kinetoscope, of Richie Valens playing. Yeah. Almost no record, visually, of him playing music, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing. Because he's a star for, like, just shortest amount of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he does uh, Donna, and we cut to people watching, and we cut to Bob watching and drinking in a bar. Mm-hmm. And he's asked for more, and the bar, you know... Says you've had enough and turns off the show. Yep. And, and this is where you see Bob's love for yeah. as much as he's jealous, as much as he's a self-destructive, difficult person who's angry at Richie. Don't turn off my, that's my brother. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And then Bob comes home and collapses in front of his drawings yeah. and crumples them up. Throws them out, tears them up. Yep. It's pure anger. Donna with a friend at high school. Richie pulls up in a convertible, and all the kids come up and ask for autographs. By the way, do you notice on her notebook? I noticed this time because I was watching the HD version. It says Richie on her notebook, and it says R and D on her notebook in a heart. Oh, so as much as the father was keeping them apart, she apparently still had feelings for him. Well, this is pure love. Yeah, you know, which honestly, you write a rock song for your girl, and then you die in a plane crash. Yeah, I wonder how Donna moves on from. I want. I mean, it'd be interesting to talk to the real Donna and go like, "Yeah, what happened to you? Like, yeah. how, what, what, where, where'd you go after that?" Yeah, uh, yeah. I love that he has Donna sign uh, the autographs. Yeah, too. right. That's cool. By the way, so all the students that ask for autographs, those are just extras. And Louis Feldes said, "Well, say something. Ask for him," because he didn't really realize that that meant they had to uh, Taft Hartley them into SAG. <laughs> and the and it really, this is not a big budget film, but it cost them. You know, it probably cost them ten grand or something to say, "Hey, say, can I have your autograph?" Um, I bet they were happy. Oh yeah, and I bet they didn't tell him a word. No, like, yes sir, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, well, that's what we. I mean, you were extras in movies. I oh, know yeah. you wanted the director to say you. Oh, well, I was lucky. I was tapped Hartley from day one. Oh, that's I, right. I've never worked a non-union day in my life, so mm. I was very, very lucky. They're off driving. It's a very sweet scene, mm. um, and she's happy for him, and he says. I'm flying. I'm really flying. Mm. And then the house. Yeah. He said he was going to buy her house, buy his mama house. Yeah. I remember Elvis bought his mama house. Yeah. I think Buddy Holly bought his mama house. And those are the previous rock biopics that I knew. Yeah. Were the Buddy Holly story and was it is it Kurt Russell? Is yeah, Elvis Kurt one? Russell's Elvis. Yeah. yeah, the TV one. And there's uh, Bobo is there uh, and Bob pulls up and the kids are just, you know... This is rich, yeah. you know, compared to where they came oh, yeah. from. And this is the, this is Donna's world now they're yeah, kind yeah. of moving into. Yeah. Um, and they go out back and talk about a pool and uh, national television spots. And Bobo hands off the keys to the new house. And she gives all her attention to Richie and says, Richie, you're the best. And Bob walks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're at Allen Freed, New York. 
this is the best kind of concert in the movie. Awesome. And we got Brian Setzer as Eddie Cochran. Yeah. His performance is great. Yeah. Doing summertime blues. What's the matter, Richie? Nervous? Hey, man, I'm just a kid from Bacolor. I'm going to take two weeks home and have a fun vacation. I'm going to take my problems to the United Nations. Well, I called my congressman and he said, quote, I'd like to help you some, but you're too young to vote. Sometimes I wonder what I'm going to do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. And uh, Richie's backstage watching, and then we call in Jackie Wilson, who's Howard Huntsbury. Does great Jackie Wilson. Great Jackie Wilson. This soundtrack's fantastic, by yeah. the way. I must have had it, or or maybe my roommate had it. Oh, really? Karen was. We were watching with Karen. She was like singing along. She lo- <laughs> she knew all the songs because yeah. she had had the soundtrack too. Yeah. I. It's too bad that we don't live in the world of soundtracks the way we used to. You know, because yeah. that was a fun. I own a ton of soundtracks. Oh yeah. And we're kind of backstage and great moments with Lou Diamond Phillips and Brian Setzer, and then they come back and say, "Hey, one of the Belmonts has a cold or something, and you got to go on early." Uh, Jackie Wilson finishes "Lonely Teardrops." And uh, he comes on stage, gets introduced as the California kid. Yeah. And uh, there's this pause before he plays. And you guys, you got to have that moment yeah. before of like, oh, they're not going to like him. And he says, here's a bit of a rattlesnake. Here's a bit of a rattlesnake. Boom. And then La Bamba. Great performance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great uh, direction of it, the look of it, the colors, and then the, the lip syncing is fantastic. If I didn't know that this wasn't him singing. Oh, yeah. It just, or and if I didn't know now that he'd never played guitar before. Right. To be able to lip sync is really hard. To be able to do a rock and roll performance and move your body is really hard. To do it while playing guitar, which you only learned a couple of months ago, yeah. for advanced guitar... I mean, he is great. Yeah. Well, and this thing, you know, it's like we talked about why is Luis Valdez not getting big movie contracts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is Lou Diamond Phillips not, never became the star that he should have been? Yeah. I think he, I think this is a star turn performance. On Absolutely. Part. He's great looking. He's hugely charismatic. He yeah. shows a lot of range. It's a full star. Yeah. And it's not that he hasn't had a career. He's had a career. Yeah, he has. He's uh, still working. He's still working. Yeah, he does a bunch. Longmire. He was on Longmire yeah. for a few seasons. And the reaction to the performance is obviously huge. Yeah. And he comes home and it's just here as he's coming home in the dark about flying. He's not going to fly anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then surprise. Yeah. Big surprise party. There's a guy filming. I love the guy filming is walking around with a lamp to light it. <laughs> that was the DP's idea. He said he had done that. Oh, wow. Um, and who is at the party? But the real Consuelo is at the party. Oh. And his sisters are at the party who were on the set oh. for a lot. And Consuelo, Connie, she died six months after the movie came out. Oh, my God. She'd had cancer. She had cancer while they were filming this, Damn. I think. And she, But she lived to see the movie come out. And it was super important to That's her awesome. and her family. Yeah. Um, and... Bob yeah. 
is being kind of a jerk. Yep. And Bob is sober. He's been on the wagon. Yeah. Um, and he asked kind of, where's that dress that I asked you to buy mom for Christmas? And he says, you're the asshole with all the money. Why don't you buy it yourself? Mm. And one of the, the relatives or uncle says, he's meaner on the wagon than he is when he's drinking. <laughs> yeah. And later we're back kind of in Richie's room or Bob's room. And yeah. he's looking at that picture of Steve, the dad, and in comes Richie and kind of asks about him, you know, how you doing? And this is where we get it. Yeah. I think this scene is great. Yeah. Old Steve, boy. You always said you were going to be somebody, and I bought it, too. If that's the way Steve wanted it, that's the way it was going to be. Even after he told me, he wasn't my dad. Then when I knew the full score, I understood, see? I realized why he always treated you just a little bit better than me. Okay? I said, you know, I'll just hang around and take the leftovers. Like a dog. That's how much I love him. Like a goddamn dog. Look, Bob, we don't have to talk about this right now. No, shit, no. I want to talk about this right now. You're going to listen to me. This is a crock of shit, man. Ba- this is a brother's fight. Yeah. Um, and it gets brutal and things that are said are horrible. Yeah. But Richie says, I ain't Rosie. I'm going to fight back. Yeah. And that's a really yeah. strong indictment on Bob. And they well, go out and, and it goes and it ends with Bob ripping that necklace off. And the moment where that necklace gets ripped off is profound. Yeah. I think it's profound for a lot of reasons. One, it's profound because the brothers realize that they've been fighting and, right. and what they've said and what's that something is broken because the necklace is a symbol of yep. the brothers and something's the broken connection. between them. Yeah. It's also something because we know he's about to die in a plane crash. Yep. And we know that this was the thing, if you believed in it, that would keep the dreams away right. and the talisman to protect you and now he doesn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great scene. Yep. And he's in the car with Donna and he's defending Bob. He didn't yep. mean it. He's just hurt. And there's this moment where he says, I will always love you. I love you, Donna. I will always love you. Sounds so serious. I am. Well, and this is what, you know, because we know where the movie's going to go. Will you wait for me? Yeah, for how long? Forever? No. (laughs) No, just till I'm uh, 25 and then I'll have a big glass cabinet and I'll keep all my gold records in it. How's that, huh? (laughs) And then there's a kiss. And then it's winter, which wasn't winter, shot in the middle of summer. <laughs> um, uh, that's like styrofoam pellets that are flying through the air. Yeah. It's like 98 degrees. <laughs> it looks great. Uh, and the bus is broken down. You could see the bus driver there. The big bopper is up performing uh, Chantilly Lace. Yeah. Um, Richie is sick, calling uh, home to Bobo, saying, you know, this is terrible. Apparently, a dude got frostbite on that bus. Wow. Yeah, because the whole, they're going through, you know, 20 below, yeah. and there's no heat on the bus. People, everyone has the flu. Yeah. Everyone's sick. And Welcome to promoters. Yeah, and Bobo's, but he's nice. He's like, no, no, come home. You're sick. Forget it. And right. He goes, no, I'm going to go on with the tour. And then Richie calls Bob. Yeah. And Bob's first thing is, you sound funny. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, I got a cold. And asks about mom. And that they're all gone. They went to church and then richie says listen bob why don't you fly out to chicago and meet me man we can finish out the tour together you know i really gotta have some family around me and there's this reaction great reactions from isa morales of because they're it's still in the are we still fighting yeah you sure you want me around and after all uh that happened what should i say and his response is really interesting because he doesn't deny it he says hey those were your real feelings man I mean, we're still brothers, aren't we? 
So he doesn't go like put it under the table. Right, right, right. He says, no, that's the truth, but we're yeah. still brothers. Yeah. Bob? You still there? Yeah, cabron. I'm still here. And I'm still your brother. Boom. That scene always breaks me because uh, I don't have the best relationship with my brother. So, like, we, we haven't spoken really consistently in 24 years. Wow. And so, th- that scene is a scene that I've always wanted to have, but I will never have with my brother because of the way he's built. And that's not a judgment, it's just the way he looks at the world. Um, so, that scene always, like, uh, gets me. Even when I was rewatching it last night, uh, I started crying because it's just like, it's that thing of like, just because people fight doesn't mean things are irrevocably broken, you know? And th- Even when there's been truth. Even when there's been truth. And the right. truth's out there. Yeah. You know, and my, my and I want to give a shout out to my girlfriend, Lily. Our first few times we fought in our relationship, I immediately was like, it's, I guess it's over. And she would always be like, what, what have you been in that you think a fight means something is over? And she has been amazing in getting me to understand that just because somebody fights, it doesn't mean a relationship is over. So like sometimes that's, that's why I love this scene because there's real honesty between them in that moment as brothers. Like, you know, both him saying like Bob taking the responsibility, which is really important. Bob takes the responsibility and Richie understands that and extends the olive branch right. as well saying, no, I wish you were here. I want my family with me. It means a lot to him. Well, yeah. because... Bob wouldn't extend the olive branch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? No, needs, Richie has to do Richie has to yeah. do which is what it is. Yeah. And like, and this is where it's like, oh, this is why this isn't a biopic right. in the traditional sense. Agreed. Because this is a movie about two brothers. Exactly. This is actually, yes, we love seeing him become the star. Right. We love the success of La Bamba, the big music, all that stuff. But this is about not resolving a relationship, but creating a bridge yeah. to maintain a difficult relationship yeah. out of love for family and for your brother. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a great, great moment. All right, man. I'll see you in Chicago. Later, Alligator. <laughs> and this is where we find out that uh, Buddy Holly has chartered a plane. Mm-hmm. And I had, had to look it up because I always forget. There was uh, the other guy who had traded places is Waylon Jennings. Waylon Jennings. Waylon yeah. Jennings was almost on that plane, but yep. didn't go. And now we got the big bopper, Buddy Holly, and there's a coin flip with Tom, I forget what his name is, one of the guys in the band. Yeah. And so he doesn't go, and we end up on the plane. And there's just a great look from a sick Richie. Yeah. As uh, Buddy Holly says, Hey, Richie, relax, man. Everything's cool. Besides, the sky belongs to the stars, right? And the plane goes to take off, and it goes out of frame, and we'll just look at the snow for a while. Yeah. That's the right choice. They disappear. A million percent the yeah. right choice. Yeah. And you don't want to see them screaming and crying as the plane yeah. is going down. That's why I think it was a big mistake for Spielberg to show Lincoln's death afterwards, lying on that bed right. and the candle. It was a big mistake. Just let it end in that moment and go go to some kind of remembrance. Well, of- because this is this moment in history mm-hmm. which uh mm-hmm. I knew about I knew the song American Pie right before I knew about Richie Valens and Me Buddy too. Holly. Me too. And B- the Big Bopper. Yep. Um, and it was only like in learning about the song that I then learned about this idea of the day the music died. Yeah. You know, and what that was as the news went out. And that's, of course, where we're going to go is that Bob is under the car working on it and the radio is playing and they start talking about this plane crash and it's Buddy Holly. calling about it. Oh, is it Rick about, Yeah, it's Rick Dees talking about it. And, and Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and then they say Richie Valens. What the shit? 
And he come he comes out, and then Elizabeth Pena comes out. Oh, the baby's crying. The baby's crying. Did you hear what the radio said about Richie? Are you sure he said Richie? And then there's this oh shit, mom. Oh my god. What about Connie? And I think we think in watching this that maybe she hasn't heard yet and they're going to have yeah, to tell her. Yeah. But then we come around the corner and we see her. And, and I love the real, the reality of Isai Morales hurting his shin, jumping over the fence. Yeah. It's a little moment, yeah. but it's a real moment. And he really did hurt himself. See? It's, yeah. it's a good moment. Yeah. All right. And then her reaction of throwing that laundry, she was putting laundry up, is just... Uh, no. And now? No! Selection. Not Richie. Not my Richie. Not my Richie, Bob. Yeah, it it it, it it's it gets me. It's getting oh, me yeah. right now. Cool. And him taking her in, and and again, we're not going to spend time in this moment. I would say seventy five, eighty percent of the time, the job of films is to cut away. Yeah, is like they take the plane takes off, cut away. Yeah, you hear the news. We don't need to stay here. Let and there's there's almost like a respect for the privacy of the characters, but it's also I don't want to sh- stick the camera yeah. in someone's face right now. Mm-hmm. Let it live. Let us process it, mm-hmm. and then we cut to Donna, and this is really how she found out. <sighs> yeah. is that oh really? Every one of the people at the school knew and were upset, and she hadn't heard yet, and they told her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And there's the funeral, and cars lining up to go to the cemetery, and then there's Bob on the bridge alone. And then we dissolve to that shot from earlier of them running up the hill with the guitar. Um, And then we cut to, it's credits. And we cut back to Richie playing La Bamba at that performance. Sleepwalk starts us, Sleepwalk ends us. Yep. And that Richie scream is still, for me, it's one of the top 10 screams on camera ever on film because it's just have like... Have you done a top 10 show no, on this yet? Uh, no, but that could be a conversation we could have because that Richie scream is incredible. Uh, I would put that on the no scream from the abyss that Ed Harris That's has. That's boy. There's, there are some great screens uh, in screams in film and that's one of them. Like just, it comes from his gut through his soul, out of his mouth to heaven, yeah. you know, and it's so totally. fantastic. Uh, this made $130 million at the box office. Incredible. Yeah, which is off of fairly small budget. Yeah. It was the most successful rock biopic up to that point. The most successful Latino film up to that point. Luis, I looked at his IMDb and it's like he he worked. Yeah. He's still alive. He still works. But like nobody handed him another movie. Yeah. Like you think about all the directors who are white guys. Yeah. yeah. And they make a moderately successful film and they work for the rest of their lives and cont- and a lot of them where you go why is this guy i'm not going to name names i'll name names but yeah okay still making films right. and a guy like luis valdez who is a brilliant i mean zoot suit too because zoot suit is like yeah structurally a completely unique film yeah and then this which is a hugely successful emotional rock biopic and they go oh let's no we don't need to make any more of those and latino stories is like Okay, this movie made $130 million, but you know what? People aren't going to come to see a Latino film. Right. John, they're not, nobody's going to come. 
It's certainly possible that that was the case, or that is the case. It's also certainly possible that he's like William Friedkin or these other people who who could only had two or three great films in them. Absolutely, and I don't quite know. Reach it after that. We don't know. You're but right. But how many movies did William Friedkin make after yeah, that? Yeah, I know. He's still yeah. occasionally he'll do something. Walter Hill as well. How many yeah. times does Walter Hill get a chance to shoot a film again? And you're like, none of these work. Or Rob Cohen is still somehow directing films. And this is the thing: is like there's this idea in Hollywood. That people are only going to see what's already been proven that they like. And right. even when the new thing is proven, look, they went to see that. It's like, well, yeah, it's probably a fluke. Oh, so what, you know, Wonder Woman, uh, it's probably a fluke. Right. You know, like, no, it it wasn't. People actually went to see it because it's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I'll go first for okay. final thoughts. Okay. It was great to revisit this movie. Yeah. What I found so interesting about it was how unique it was structurally is that this isn't a rock biopic. This is a story about a family. It's a story about two brothers. Mm. It's in an era that I absolutely love. And it's with a character... Richie's not a flawed guy. No. He is just a great, wonderful person. And just this, and because you know this is a movie heading towards tragedy, it puts everything in this different kind of focus. And to me, it was just proof that Latino stories uh, are human stories. You know, that mm-hmm. if the story is good, if the characters are interesting, I'm going to be moved by it. And just reading through my notes and getting to some of those moments with Bob I, or, or to the moments of his death, it's like, man, I'm still moved. Yeah. And I love this music. I love the era of this music. Yeah. I, I, I really, I like listening to it. I played a bunch of it for my son. I hope that he likes it too. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, the, but his, you know, those few songs of Richie Valens plus the Buddy Holly songs is just... And Eddie Cochran and Jackie Wilson. This is just a great area of music. Yeah. And, it was, and I'm really, really glad you suggested we revisit it. Yeah, I'm glad you were up for it. You know, it's one of my f- favorite films that I still come back to all the time. It's never a chore to watch it. It's never a chore to stand, stop and and and, and revisit it again. Um, it still feel every time I watch it, it still feels like the first time I'm watching it. I think it was such a poignant film for me to watch at a certain time in my life when I was myself a Latino living in a predominantly white area uh, or city rather, and having to see my story on the screen or stories of my people on the screen. It meant a lot to see that. And you could tell this was a Latino film. There is hardly any semblance of a white vibe to the movie. And I appreciated that. And I got so much out of that. And it's still, uh, to me, a trailblazing film in that way. It's a rock biopic, but Steve, you make a great point. It's about family and brotherhood and what that means. And it's almost, he just happens to be a rock star. The story is about these brothers and figuring out their relationship from beginning to end. From that first hug of having, having seen you in forever to that last conversation on the phone and it, everything that happens in between, it's a very layered uh, relationship with some difficulties and some beautiful moments as well of connection. And that's what really decorates the film to me and makes it why you should come back and watch it over and over again. Because the human stories are what make us love film. And even in superhero movies, the best superhero movies are the ones where they just happen to be superheroes. Yes. But it's about the human story occurring within them. And that and this film really captures it. And thank God for Luis Valdez. I think without him uh, doing what he did, there wouldn't have been other Latino filmmakers coming in the 90s and certainly now with Inaritu and yeah. Del Toro and uh, uh, Cuaron, all yeah. these filmmakers coming through and doing their things. And thank God. Yeah, and thank absolutely. God. Yeah. Um, so that's what we think of I literally just forgot what movie we were talking about. <laughs> you white person. <laughs> yes, it was racism. <laughs>
So that's what we think of La Bamba. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Uh, visit us on our Facebook page. Uh, let us know what you thought of it. Search for The Cinephiles. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. Leave reviews on iTunes, comments on YouTube. Help support the show on patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. If you want to watch La Bamba or any other movie we've ever done, visit cinephiles.net. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and thank you, everybody, uh, for downloading our episodes and talking to us, leaving comments. It means so much. And hopefully, we turned you on to La Bamba. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, one more thing I almost forgot. Yes. We are coming up on our 150th episode, oh, oh. and we're going to do another Q&A. So you, if you have questions for The Cinephiles, please send them to our email address. Mm -hmm. That's thecinephiles1941, the year of Citizen Kane at gmail.com the cinephiles1941 at gmail.com for all your Q&A needs and that is it for this week we will see you next time on the cinephiles bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at bet MGM simply download the bet MGM app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.